0: In today's episode, we open up the Gospel of Mark now to chapter 10, verses 1 through 31. Jesus confronts the Pharisees who test him on the issue of divorce, and he affirms that God's original design was for a lifelong union between a man and a woman. He also welcomes the little children who come to him and declares that the kingdom of God belongs to those who receive it like a child. And finally, he encounters a rich young man who asks him how to inherit eternal life, Jesus tells him to sell everything he has and follow him. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Monday, November 13th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. Well, joining me this morning to help us begin to open up Mark Chapter 10, it's the Reverend Doug Gribbenaugh. He's a pastor and mission advocate at KFU Radio. Good morning, Pastor Gribbenaugh. Welcome back to the program. Good morning, brother. It is wonderful to be back with you all. Always excited to have you on. I think we've been making our way through Mark. It's just one thing after another. Mark is such a a fast-paced text, and today is no different. We're only doing one half of the gospel—I'm sorry, one half of the chapter, but— There are three major events for us to look at today. So I'm glad to have you here to help us open it up. Uh, would you just go ahead and start our time together in prayer and we'll, we'll head off to the races.
1: Well, we'll, we'll, we'll take a cue from Mark and just get right at it then. Amen. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. Well, brothers and sisters, let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, without your help, our labor is useless. And without your light, our search is in vain. Invigorate our study of your holy word that by due diligence and right discernment we may establish ourselves and others in your holy faith. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So yeah, well, mark chapter we might be only doing half of the chapter, but we are gonna do the full gospel. I wanted to put that in there. <laughs>
0: and the full uh, yes, spirit yes. of the law too. Amen. Well, if the <laughs> Lord wills, right? Well, let, right? well, hopefully the Holy Spirit will use us today. But I you know, it is an interesting chapter because it's coming on the heels of Jesus talking about his death and resurrection and who is the greatest and um, temptations to sin. And now we get uh, there, there are Pharisees who are challenging him and on something that, frankly, is a big issue that remains today, and that is about divorce. And, and while Jesus addresses the issue of divorce, he also, uh, I guess, uses this as an opportunity to talk, I guess, less about divorce and more about the sanctity of marriage. Uh, I, I think that's one good way to look at it, at least, uh, and that's where we're, we'll begin today. I'm going to go ahead and just read. Our first little section here, which is through verse 12. And Jesus left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again and again, as was his custom he taught them. And Pharisees came up and, in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Okay, Uh, you know, it's pretty heavy stuff, brother. I'm sure there are people out in our, our listening audience right now who have struggled with the sin of divorce. Either they've been an unfortunate party to divorce, or perhaps their parents or someone else they love has gotten divorced. This is a serious issue. I guess, at least on the one hand, it's not a new issue. It's been around, well, as long as the law has been around.
1: Well, and probably predating that, actually, long as sin has been around, amen, because we we struggle with so many things. And I will say, that is the effect of the law on us that that makes us squirm in our seats. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes us want to really turn our eyes and say, well, what's happening in the rest of this chapter? (laughs) That's nice, Jesus. Let's leave that there. And exactly. I have to say, that's a good thing. It's it's good that the law has that effect, that it makes us uncomfortable, because it also means that that we know that within our sinful hearts, whether we've been a party to divorce, a you know a, a victim, a, a peripheral victim, you know, a child of divorced parents, or or just if we recognize in our own hearts that you know we have looked lustfully at uh, at other women, or, or or if you're a woman at other men, that. That is this sin, and it's in there. It's in our hearts, and and that sin is is present. We have to deal with it, so we don't want to shy away from it. But I I, no,
0: it it is one of those things where if this was your text to preach on, there would be a great temptation to avoid those last few verses about whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And I look forward to unpacking that.
1: Yeah, I love. Okay, go ahead. You the, the thing you love, I do want to know what that is. Well, I was just
0: gonna say, I love though that Jesus really doesn't get into that part of it except in private with his disciples. Like I when they it ask interesting him and tempt that him. they
1: ask too. Yeah. It's, it's because, you know, it's not the question is posed, as we're told, as a test. But that doesn't mean that this question isn't something that's important in our mind. So really, this is a wonderful example of there's nothing. There, there is no bad question, right? There's no stupid questions, as my father, who was a school teacher, used to say. It be, there might be a wrong-headed reason for asking the question, but it's a question that needs to be asked. And uh, and and thanks to the Holy Spirit that you know the apostles followed up on this <laughs> and said, what uh, what what is it? <laughs> what is it that's being said here?
0: Well, you know, I and I think also it's very fascinating that when they go up to test him, they test him with this with this question, but I think that raises the question. If they're testing him, that means they had a correct answer in mind. They knew what they, that he's supposed to say. And Jesus doesn't give them the opportunity to say whatever he says is wrong. Cause he just asks them, well, you're asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, what did Moses say? Uh, yeah. And so then they, they end up basically, answering the question they were hoping he would answer it like. It, it, really, it's very savvy on Jesus's part. I know I shouldn't be surprised, but it's very savvy on Jesus' part that he doesn't fall for their trap. And I wonder how often as pastors, either even parishioners, frankly, or especially those on the outside, they come to us with leading questions just looking for that sound bite to convict us. And that's exactly what the Pharisees are doing to Jesus here.
1: And the wonderful uh, temptation that we have, or at least I, for one, have, is I find myself generally being a, a sort of problem solver. If there's a problem. I want to, you know, help address the solution. And and prudence <laughs> prudence is uh, that we first sit and say that wonderful Lutheran question, and it applies in all sorts of life. What does this mean? You know, well, why why do you ask? Because so often... When we are struggling with our own problems and, and we come to our pastor and we say, yeah, I need help with this, a lot of the time that's really just a symptom of a deeper problem that I either don't recognize or I don't want to recognize. And, and wise pastors, wise father confessors will ask that question, you know, paraphrasing it, what does this mean or, or why is it you ask? To, to work to the root of, of the problem which we know is, is sin, but in what manifestation? And how is it that God's Word can, can heal us of this? And that's really what I find amazing in, in this is that Jesus is coming again. Crowds are gathering again and again, as was His custom, He taught them. And even in, even with this wrong-headed or, or, or wicked purpose to this question, he teaches. And and the way in which he first positions this, I think we gloss over it so often, as as is when I'm just reading scripture and just going straight through. There's a depth that I miss unless I go back. See, so the Pharisees come and they and they are going to test him, right? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Right? And they're very concerned with the lawfulness, right? It is by the works, by adhering to this law that the Pharisees see that one can attain salvation by holding to these laws. Laws, and and what Jesus does is he takes them back. He says, "What does Moses command you?" And who is Moses? Right? He's the lawgiver. Right? These these guys are rooted in this understanding, and so they they answer, you know, "This is what Moses, you know, the lawgiver has has said," right? And then Jesus takes it back even farther from before Moses. He says, because of the hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment, right? Moses said, you have this certificate of divorce, right? Because of the hardness of your heart, this is the struggle, this is the condition. And, and we should be really convicted when we have this hardness of heart. Oftentimes, it's because we have just set our, our mind to do wickedness, and there's hardly anything that, that can dissuade us from it. Uh, It's that little bit of Pharaoh in each of us. But then Jesus says, that was Moses, which is God's law, right? To address and deal with this this pig-headed creation known as man, right? But before that, from the beginning, this is how it is. This is what was the the ontology, right? The, the, The purpose and the vision, male and female. And a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And I love that this should take us back to that first creation, that moment. You know, Adam sees all of the creatures that God has made; he names them all. But there was not a helpmeet suitable for him. And what does our Lord do? He puts, he puts Adam to sleep from his side, pulls out and makes the help that is that is worthy of him and that he should be worthy of as well, right? And so humanity sort of has become impartial now, aside from man and, and woman, for the fullness of Adam, right, was taken out. And there's this rib, right, the rib of Eve. And so we see in the union of man and wife, a fullness, a wholeness that, that was, you know, not seen since the first of creation, right? That you're brought together, your strengths support the weaknesses of the other, the strengths of the other support your weaknesses, and you become full. And this is the wonderful fullness of, of marriage, that unity and that restoration. The two shall become one flesh as we once were, as we should be, right? This wonderful fullness. And so what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, the immediate context here is we're talking marriage, right? Because he's talking divorce. We're talking marriage. But I think there's a wider sense as well, because the the corruption of original sin the corruption of creation it's all groaning right these birth pangs with jesus the righteous one now incarnate he's going towards the cross he's going to restore all things well what god has joined together in all of creation in this wonderful purpose that he has established for everything man's sin has has rent asunder and god is restoring and bringing it back so let man not separate All of the goodness and the wonderful things that the Lord has established and brought together and unified for a wonderful purpose. Let man not separate it. Not just marriage, but all of the order of creation and the wonderful gifts he has. That's really the fullness I think we need to see.
0: Yeah, and that's what I was going to piggyback on because God is a God of order. He has designed us in a certain way. He's designed our relationships to be a certain way. He's designed the world to operate in a certain way. And and really sin, regardless of what form it takes, is almost always just a rebellion against God's order. And so he's letting them know here that divorce, though there was, um, I don't want to say permissible, though there was a— A procedure for it, it wasn't because that's God's intention. And so often do we think that just because something is legal, it's right, or it's holy, or it's okay, or it's even God-pleasing. And of course, Moses spoke by the command of God, and I don't think he's denying that. In fact, he's not saying that Moses is wrong, which I'm sure is how they heard it. He's saying that Moses was acting on behalf of God's mercy because of our sin. I, I, at least that's how I see it. I, but I also see them as setting him up to somehow disparage Moses so they could attack him. Because if he were to say, oh, sure, yeah, you can get divorced all you want, then they would have claimed, well, no, Moses restricted it to these very specific situations. Or if he would have said, nope, you can't get divorced at all, then they would have said, well, Moses allowed for the certificate of divorce. So there was no way for him – this was a gotcha question. There was no way for him to win the argument. So to win it, of course, as God also often does, he points to the sureness of his word, as Amen. you've been pointing out. He, he says, look, you know, yes, Moses did give you that, but that's not because Moses was wrong. It's because we are wrong. I shouldn't say we in Jesus' name, but, but you are wrong, basically, human beings. So, so I love that, that he really redirects them to, as you've been pointing out, the unity of, of God's ordering and creation. Now, with all that said, though, later on, he, because he doesn't really answer the question, I mean, he kind of does. Uh, certainly, he says from the beginning, this wasn't so, but he doesn't really explicitly answer the question, is divorce permissible right. is it or is it lawful? lawful? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the question. right. And I think that's why the disciples as we often see, he often will clarify like his parables and other things and this is just another example of that where they're like, "Hey, hey Jesus, you know, they actually asked a pretty good question. I know they were out to get you, but but we're just curious." And then he explains it. Amen. You know, and I have to say that this isn't the
1: best word it accommodates, right? But it's the one that it's the best I can find now in this moment. The, the certificate of divorce is a way in which God sort of works with the sinful people and he's done this a few times you know i think almost most famously is with the kings right they had judges that was the way it was supposed to be the people were like no we we must have a king right the hardness of our hearts and he said you know okay you'll have a king we'll 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 do it (laughs) in a sense you know the frustrated parent we'll do it your way (laughs) and you'll see the wisdom of mine right so the hardness of your hearts okay we'll we'll do it your way Guys, but you'll see the wisdom, and and we do we see there is nothing in this world like a, a, a guilt free or a a, a pain free divorce. It is it is ripping apart that that one flesh into two again, and and we do we see it that uh, that there is pain, and it's and it's the wisdom of God's ways versus the hardness of our hearts, and it's just the reality of this fallen world. But that's also why, yeah, the disciples say, well, what what about this matter, and our Lord lays it out, you know, thinking back to this is the purpose and the way and the, how the world is to be, right? The will for God, uh, for you and I, for the goodness of all things. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now I have to say the one thing that that I like about the fact that we hate what we're hearing here right It really hurts us, especially if 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 we are uh, you know have been engaged in divorce, is that we find this word adultery so horrid, and that's a, that's a good thing that's a bad sin, Right. but the other thing is that we should treat all sin with this same sort of pain and revulsion. This is not how it's supposed to be. But how often do we say, eh, you know what? I just don't feel like going to church today. You know, third commandment, eh, whatever. I'll, I'll go next week. We don't have that. Oh my goodness. I am, I, I despise the Sabbath, right? We don't have that sort of horrid, re, re, you know, revulsion with what we're doing. The fact is that we are to be, you know, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And there is sin when there is divorce, even if there is then remarriage, there is still the sin and this pain. And it, and it is pains that continue on until really the end of the age.
0: But, you bring up a really good, yeah. well, I was just going to say, I want to I illustrate a point that you had. And, and that is that in, in some ways we've made adultery like this, really heinous sin, and it is, but we also don't realize how broad it is. We, we think of Jesus you know, saying, if you lust after someone in your own heart, you've already committed adultery. But then we, of course, in our human experience would say, well, my spouse would much rather me lust after someone in my own heart than, than actually commit adultery. But that's the wrong way of thinking, because before God, while our sins affect our neighbor, I guess, in differing degrees, they're all damnable before God. But in the same way that adultery doesn't have to be the most heinous, I say, form of adultery, um, you know, Jesus is is um, is being pretty, I guess, just just realistic about what God's expectations are for us, right? Be perfect as I am perfect. Uh, so whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. In Matthew, and I know it's tacky to bring in other gospels, but in Matthew, he does mention with the exception of Uh, unfaithfulness you know so he kind of gives this uh, i don't want to say a loophole but he does give a, a he he himself permits allows for divorce when someone is unfaithful but at the same time this isn't carte blanche permission and nor is it i think designed to try to cover all the bases it's he's he's really wanting to focus less on what tears them apart and more on um God's intention from them for from the beginning at least that's how I see it
1: and the thing to remember is even though this is permissible as you will right according to Mosaic law, it is not necessarily what it's not prescriptive right It is possible that 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 you know in the case of sexual immorality in in abuse that that one may you know issue that particular divorce and, and be divorced but it's not necessarily that you must do such a thing you know if if your spouse, commits adultery. It's not God's law that you have to absolutely in that moment divorce them and be done. There is, there is no requirement for that. In fact, what the Lord God has joined together, let man not separate, let not sin separate. You know, the desire for the Lord is, is that we should live together in, really in love. And that means even that we, we can remain married and, and have that forgiveness. But the fact is that in this in this fallen world those those pains those scars are still going to be there. it's going to be hard but it's not that that you must divorce because the fact is that adultery, infidelity, uh, sexual immorality, these things injure the body and, and in the case of marriage, the body of the husband and the wife and there is injury and it persists but uh, but if you divorce, if you don't divorce, we you're going to have to deal with these injuries, nonetheless. Uh, and so, by God's grace, you know, may we seek then to be restored in in our marriages and to remain faithful. But if if it is not possible, you know, on account of the side of glory that we live. You know, may the Lord's grace then sustain us and and assure us of the forgiveness we have in Christ, even as we walk through these pains of adultery and divorce and infidelity. Uh, because we we live this side of glory in the grace of God and with His forgiveness, even though we retain these these memories and these scars of sin, our Lord has set them aside by the blood of of His sacrifice on the cross. That our Father in heaven would would forget them and see them no more.
0: In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, Paul, I believe really branching off of Jesus' teaching here, says, To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. So the question is, We see God has made it very clear that from the beginning, Jesus says this right here, from the beginning, God um, has designed marriage for for this lifelong union. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. The question for, I guess, Christians and listeners out there right now is if for whatever reason, because of the sinfulness in this world, a divorce occurs, Is it so that they should never get remarried again unless they reconcile? I mean, how do we minister to people who have suffered through divorce? That in the way that we both don't want to downplay the seriousness of it, but at the same time, we don't want people living in despair over, well, just the sinful nature of this world.
1: And that is another of the crux theologi. That's one of the wonderful things of being a pastor is to minister in the depths of 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 this sin and really in the depths of the pains that we endure this side of, of glory. Yeah. The, I, the, the ideal situation is restoration and, and, and unification to be bringing that back together. Uh, And I think of situations of of perhaps unbelievers who have been married and divorced and then meet a faithful Christian spouse that they marry later on. (laughs) What of this word that, that, makes them say, wow, no, I, I, I didn't know, and now I do know. It's the, the messiness of our fallen world. And, and, and it's a good and laudable thing to recognize that, that the law convicts, but then, because it shows us our sin, and it shows us our need for our Savior. But the law can only put us to death. It is the gospel that makes us alive. So I would say that what we should look to is first recognize that the law is the, is the manifestation of God's perfect will because he loves us and, and his law is meant to guard and protect us from sin, from death, from the power of the devil, from our own sinful flesh, right? To guard us from the injuries and the pains. But we being children, and really we, we are, we, we mess up and we hurt ourselves and we hurt others and that's where we live in this gospel—the love of God that picks us up in in this injury, in this pain, the bloody mess that we are on the kitchen floor because we didn't listen to mom and dad—and binds up our wounds and administers that gospel and holds us in God's arms as we cry our hearts out, as we struggle and wrestle with this pain, and as we live with the effects of our sin for the rest of our mortal lives. So it's a really—it's a wonderful thing to then. Hold fast to that gospel, because yes, the grievous sins, and and really before the Lord, all sins are grievous. Every sin uh, should grieve us utterly. But even these grievous sins are forgiven for the sake of Christ Jesus, and we live then in His forgiveness, going forth each day. And as we struggle with perhaps the guilt of a sin over and over and over again. You know, as the crowds come again and again to Jesus, we should come again and again to our pastors and to our Lord, right? To the under shepherd who cares for us in the stead and by the command of Jesus to tell us again and again, you are forgiven. You are loved by God.
0: You are his child. Well, definitely something for us to contemplate and think about as we go into our break, folks don't go anywhere when we come back we'll shift gears just a little bit and move from marriage to children but it's not about progeny as much as it is about faith so don't go anywhere pastor Gribbenau and i will be right back we'll see you on the other side Welcome back, dear listeners. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, your host, and this is Thy Strong Word. With me this morning is the Reverend Doug Gribbenaugh. He's a pastor and mission advocate at KFUO Radio. And right now we're in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Before we head back into our text, I just want to remind you that if you have any feedback, questions, comments, or maybe you have a perspective on Mark that we haven't covered, feel free to email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook well, Pastor Grimman, before the break, we were just finishing up divorce, you know, and, and let's be honest, we could spend a, a, a week, a whole season of talking about uh, the div- sin of divorce. But I do think it's important that when we talk about sexual sins in general, Sixth Commandment stuff, it's so easy for us to jump to some of those hot topics of the day if people know what they are. But we shouldn't do it at the neglect of the temptations that we'll actually face probably more often. Many in our pews do struggle with things like homosexuality and other things, maybe even gender dysphoria. There's people out there that struggle with those things. Some of it real, some of it imagined, some of it um, is a a big problem. But at the same time, we have more cases of heterosexual sins, uh, divorce, uh, adultery, and other things. So I don't I do think it's important that we don't skip over these issues. Uh, but I do have to say we also can't really do it justice, uh, just in a few minutes.
1: Amen. And you know, the one thing that, that uh speaking of, of real challenges is is just pornography, which is adultery. And it's so pervasive and so freely available. I mean, the the internet is filled with wonderful cat videos that I've curated in my in my you know. I call it formerly known as Twitter feed and, and on my Facebook page because I love cats and, and I love Star Trek. And if someone would remake Star Trek with cat actors, I think I'd, I'd probably die happy. <laughs> but there's horrid things on the Internet and it's easily accessible now that I have children that are very young. Um, and and, the, you know, tablets are just a part of their their world. I, my little boy, Sammy's four. He can operate the tablet better than me sometimes. Uh, and it's not as if I'm, you know, a, a very aged, untechy person, but they are vastly, you know, they're racing towards the time when they're going to bump into the dark corners of the underweb, the corners that, uh, <laughs> the corners that we have to admit we ourselves probably visit more often than we should, or are tempted to at the very least, because it's always there and it's always creeping its way in, even in our television program or media programming. We are assaulted with imagery that will elicit adulterous thoughts all the time. It's a very hard thing. And, and this takes us right back to here. You know, it, it, we are committing adultery so often because you see a scantily clad woman and the old Adam in you, you know, catches that one flash. And it's like, well, whoa, no, that's adultery. But it's done, right? We live in this dangerous world. We walk in danger all the way. And that's why I really wanted to focus and, and point to the grace that God has for us. Uh, his point and his purpose is for a, a, a loving marriage of one man, one woman joined in the flesh. This side of glory in this fallen world, there are struggles galore all over the place every moment of the day. Some we deal with in our minds, some we deal with in our visuals outside the world or in our ears, but... As we endure and struggle with them, let's remember and recognize that God's mercy, His forgiveness in Christ, His Word, and the strengthening that He gives us, Word and sacrament, is more powerful than any of those things, right? Take heart, for He has
0: overcome the world. Amen. And we get those, uh, the benefits of His gifts through faith. And what happens next is about faith, that we go from marriage to children, looking at verse 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying hands on them. So back in Mark chapter 9... They were asking about you know, who was the greatest, and he takes a child, puts it in the midst of them, and says, Whoever receives one such child in my name, whoever, whoever receives me, receives not me, uh, but him who sent me, pardon me. He equates them receiving the little children with receiving him, right? You receive this child. You receive me. You receive me. You receive God. And now here, and I, I know the timeline doesn't work like this. But only a few verses later, <laughs> I don't know actually how much time has passed, but couldn't have been a whole lot. And now here's a child or people bringing children to Jesus and the disciples go, get out of here with those kids. I mean, come on, guys, we're rooting for you. Why do you never get it? Well, we know because we never get it. That's why. But still, uh, interesting juxtaposition. You know, they're, they're sending children off, even though Jesus literally just got done teaching them about welcoming children.
1: Yeah, we've got important adult things to do here. This is an important event. How dare this child interrupt me, really? It, it comes down to a, an idolatry of self, that I am so grandiosely most important. My time with Jesus is more important than that little rapscallion over there. What need does he have? He doesn't have a good question. I've got a good question. There's there's this continuous, well, it's the, it's really, it's the very root of sin being curved in on yourself looking out for number one only me and children especially in the ancient world had zero standing in anything and let's be honest really the best way for us to visualize ourselves in relation to the lord is not even as a toddler but as a a suckling infant who is completely dependent on god or on 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 its mother right in this you know the visual for everything for 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 diaper changes for food for sleeping for cuddling everything and that's really what god's pointing us to is we are children and the wonderful thing of children is that is that they are absolutely dependent on mom and dad and and they don't feel shame about it nor should we being feel shame about being fully and absolutely dependent on god we look to him for for everything. In him, we live and move and have our being. And so it's not your pride. It's not your intellect. It's not your, 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 your physical strength and power in this world. None of these things matter for anything. And these are all the things the world says are important. And God says, none of them count for, for, for anything before me. Just be a child. Look to me, trust me, love me, and, 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 and I provide for you everything. And honestly, you know, a full suckling infant maybe, you know, doesn't do a very good job of expressing love for mom and dad and sometimes probably doesn't love mom and dad because you're not letting me do what I want to do. But the wonderful thing is that mom and dad love that kid no matter what. It's amazing how this ugly little alien that pops out of your wife, right, because they're after birth covered with weird things and their faces are bloated and it's like is that thing from this world and you still love it you know it's one of the most probably less attractive things you've ever seen it's yours yeah. and you love it and it's amazing how that works and that's that's as close i think as, as i've gotten to really being able to see what it's like for god you know as i look at myself in the mirror and, and i mean that you know metaphorically and it, there's a gross, disgusting, ugly, messy, <laughs> horrible looking thing. And God still loves me and <laughs> loves me so much that he, his own son would die for me. That's really what we're getting here. And bless those, those parents that were taking their kids to Jesus. Absolutely. That's the place where kids are to be in the family of God with us. That's where they should be in the divine service, right there with mom and dad, right there with the brothers and sisters in Christ, right there with Jesus and it, and absolutely i don't care that there's a kid screaming <laughs> during the middle of my sermon no because there's that kid and you know what he's he's there in the family and you know even if you even if you as a as a parishioner miss some really amazing important point in the sermon which is so what
0: right right <laughs>
1: you can ask me later If it really is going to bug you all that much. But the other thing is we have a service that is filled and shaped and driven and directed by God's word and God's word then manifests in the reality of the body and blood of Jesus. Right? So there's more than enough word. If you miss one or two in the sermon because a kid's screaming, so be it. That's where they're supposed to be.
0: Amen. And let's rejoice in that. Oh, absolutely! I I always let them know, you know. I, I have a microphone, and uh, you know we can bump up the volume. I'll, I'll win. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> At a certain point, your winning will elicit more screaming, though. Let's be well. Frank, be yeah, <laughs> yeah. My, I I know some kids. It seems like they wait for the sermon to start crying. My children always, always that one word. That <laughs> one word. <laughs> my my, kids, my children always know. waited for the sermon to go to the bathroom. So you know, I don't know. <laughs> Um, and I remember as I was a kid I was very fixated on the order of service just trying to count down how long until I got to leave Um, and it just goes to show you that you know if the kids are crying and they're whining or even if they're like hey I I can't wait to leave it, it God's still working right God's still doing all the work you know that's the beautiful thing about it frankly I'm not I'm not convinced that even if you can't hear the sermon because of your crying kid, the, the mom and dad just still don't benefit because it's God's word that does the work more than exactly what we say.
1: Amen. It's not by our reason or strength, not by our noose, our understanding here. Yeah. But the, one, you know, the other thing is that even if you are an older person, and you're sitting there counting down. You know how long until I can leave? Because let's be honest, not not every Sunday are you like super jazzed to be at church. It's just the reality of the sinful flesh. Well, you know what? You you discipline the old Adam, you discipline the flesh. You sit there and you and you live in the Word of God, uh, and you go. You know, it's 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 part of that habitus, right? That we we do that. So, uh, you know, the the having the kids there and and having you there, having. Well, let's say it, having the kids, (laughs) the children of God in that place is the right and best place to be. And I think there's a reason we have this somewhat positioned next to divorce too, because we had here the vision of marriage, right? Of joined together into one flesh. And what is the vision of, of marriage that is given to us in the New Testament of Christ and his bride, the church? Right? That's living in this unity in this in this one fleshness. and so don't let your sinful heart tear you away from that marriage of of the people and the word, right of being there in church. So I think there's a little little connection there as well. Be in church, be with one another, and don't tear apart pieces of it by excluding others, but have them there in there, uh, kids, moms, grandpas, everyone. and and honestly, invite the stranger in that they can hear that word and be called by the power of the gospel, right, to be part of that
0: that marriage. Jesus says in verse 15, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a child or like a child shall not enter it. Um, sometimes I've seen that translated as a child, in the manner of a child. We, I don't think Jesus is saying that, you know, in, if you don't get in as a kid, you're out. I'm not, I know he's not saying that. Uh, but I've, I've heard of folks outside the Lutheran tradition who look at this text, and I think they rightly understand it, that one must have the simple, humble faith of a child. That's, that's the saving faith. That's what it feels like, relying on God. They'll admit that, but then turn around and say, but actual children still can't. Actual children still have to wait till they're of the age to make a decision, the age of accountability. They have to make some sort of dedication to the Lord. They have to be old enough to make that decision. You can't have it both ways. I think we also see in this not only a call to humility and childlike faith, but it's also a revelation that if you don't receive the kingdom of God like a child, it tells us that children receive the kingdom of God. I think that's important to point out.
1: Well, yeah. You know, what did God say? <laughs> that's, and that's really, we have to come back to that every single time. Yeah, asking this question, well, what did God say? And, and then what he says is that. And not be teenagers who say, well, but, or what if, or yeah, and, but, you know, like a little kid. Oh, that there is the sky. It's blue. Okay, Dad. Yep. And so this here is God's will for you. Okay, Dad. Well. That's it. it. (laughs)
0: We're going to move into the, I was going to say, we're going to move into the next section because we've had a young man. There we go. I was going to say, we've had marriage and divorce. We've had children. Now we have the, uh, something about money. Go figure. Uh, it, it, seems like Jesus really has his pulse on the human condition and the things that tempt us. Um, in fact, we of course know he does verse 17. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to them, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, Will you lack one thing? Go Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around, and he said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished, and they said to him, Well, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers, and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Okay, quite a bit of text for us to go through, but even though we only have a few minutes left, it's a it's a narrative. I think we can tackle it. The biggest thing here is this rich man comes up, and he I, I don't have any reason to think he's not sincere that he says. Jesus, rabbi, hey, what what can I do to inherit eternal life? I'm ready. Uh and he's the problem is though, you know, he's relying on his own good works, his own key. Yeah, and the problem the is the
1: question, what must right. I do? <laughs> right. And and we always ask that question. What do I need to do? And I and I think it's because of that, of the first sin, we want to be God. So saved by Jesus, yeah, but you know, I'm I'm kind of important too, right? I mean, I have to do something. Otherwise, it doesn't count for anything. right? I, mean, I need to do something. Otherwise, you know, we have this weird fascination that, okay, so I can't be God. I need a Savior. But at least the Savior needs me to help out a little bit because I'm important too. No, we're not. We are children who are fully dependent on God. That's really what this is. And it comes back to that question. What must I do? It's the same thing. Is it lawful? And so, you know, it, it's... It's, it's a great thing because he points this man in a roundabout way because his ears are so stopped up and his heart is so filled with this lawfulness of what I must do, of good works, of earning and merit and building things up that he, Jesus has to do an end run to open his eyes. You know, well, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. Do you know who you're talking to, right? He's asking that question. Because you're closer to the kingdom than you realize, right? You know the commandments, right? You, you have all these things that you're supposed to do, right? You know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Boom, don't, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father or mother, right? Ah, teacher, I've done all these things. There must be more, right? I, I'm, I really want to get into heaven. I'm going to do a great job. All I've kept from my youth. And the thing is that Jesus loves him, right? He loves it. And he and he says, in I'm I'm sort of internal dialogue, he's like, Yeah, kid, but the problem is you don't have God, right? You don't have God first. You have a false God. You have an idol. You have something you love more than than God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so he says, Well, you lack one thing. Go and sell and give all you have to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me, right? He's attacking the idol, the one last idol. That this man has, which is his great possessions. And and I don't want to think that this is such a a sad ending here, right? 22. Disheartened by this thing, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Scripture doesn't say, and then he said, Ah, to heck with it. It's not worth it. I'm gonna just enjoy my money, right? <laughs> I have to say, you know, he's disheartened because the law has stung him and it's working. And and you know, I would like to think. You know, that 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 working of that law there, that this man, his eyes are opened and becomes like so many of the wonderful rich men in in scripture and, and rich women who've then used that wealth, not just giving it all away and then live destitute, but actually engage that wealth as the way we should engage money to do good, to do good for others and for ourselves and for our family, for the household of faith, and be benefactors of the church. So I, you know, I like to think extra biblically that this young man opens his eyes and says, oh, it's not that the money's evil or wicked or bad, but that the money is what I love when I should let my money be a manifestation of my love for the Lord. And that's really, and it's a wonderful realization that we we do value things and money and the power that it gives us, you know, in this side of glory. And Jesus says, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, because you know, we're always sort of driven about this accumulation of wealth, this accumulation of things and powers, and who has the most toys wins. That's the way the world looks. And really, it's not that the money and those things bring you happiness, but in, in joy, those, that money and those things can bring the love of God to others. And that's really where we, we see that you know, in the household of faith and then to the stranger and the sojourner. But it's so hard. And so, the, you know, the, the disciples are amazed at his words because in, in the ancient world and even today, we falsely equate great wealth and worldly success as if this is somehow a sign of divine love that... God's love and light and shining on this person. They're so wealthy. They have so many things. Their life is so great. God must love them and love them more than me because I don't have all those things. That's not the way God works. And we know that because God loves each and every one of us, right? Regardless of how many toys or money or wealth we have. And the Lord gives according to his ways, right? Everything we have is a gift from God. And some have more wealth, some have more toys, some have more kids, more families, more friends, um, more time, but all of it is a gift for God. And the point of his giving is that we can give as well. That's really where we kind of come down to with this. And, and the disciples still challenge it. If they're having that hard time, exceedingly astonished, the disciples said, then who can be saved? And then we get right back to that same question, right? This young man says, what must I do, I do to inherit eternal life? And the disciples, who can be saved? With man, it is impossible. (laughs) By your own reason, strength, merits, anything else, it's impossible with you. So don't, don't even try. But not with God, for all things are possible with God.
0: No, wait a minute. Now that all things are possible with God, that doesn't have anything to do with like sports teams or my workout or should I just print that indiscriminately on on mugs and t-shirts, taking it out of context? No, of course, it has something to do with faith and his ability to, uh, to work even in the hearts of those who continue to reject him. He can still work. They can reject him. He doesn't force it, but I just love that. You know, God is able to save even those whom we might um, think that are unsavable, which of course is ourselves.
1: Amen, and and those who who really struggle against it too. I mean, how often have we seen? And and this is the and you know I just want I want to pop to the end right, just the last verse. Many who are first will be last, and the last first. And how scandalized are we when we think about that wretched, horrible, sinful person who's been a philanderer, a drunk, a pilferer, you know, a thief, all these things through, you know, 50, 60, 70 years of their life, just a scallion, horrible person. They've been mean to me every time. Again. And then they repent of their sins. And by golly, you know where they're going to be. <laughs> they're going to be in heaven with you. And that's wonderful. I, mean, I, I think of Mission in Nuremberg, right? The LCMS pastor who was then the, the pastor to these Nazi war criminals who gave them the law. And, and, and for some, they continued to reject it and stand condemned before the Lord. Some repented of their sins. And, and what a joy that those, those, those men who committed atrocities unimaginable in the world, The blood of Jesus forgives those sins and they will be with us in paradise. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. Which is also to say, don't then take this in a pig-headed wrong way and say, well, then fine, I can just go out there and sin to my heart's content as long as I make sure the last 11th hour I repent of it. Well, that's just a, that's a wrong-headed way to do it. And you're going to experience a whole lot of pain.
0: Right. and if nothing oh, else what? you don't know when that eleventh hour is going to come yeah exactly cool
1: tonight your soul is required of you that only right. the lord knows when that last hour is don't tempt the lord right but rejoice that the lord will call back to back to faith and his law and his gospel his word goes out and redeems even the most unlovable unwonderful people that you've ever met and the wonderful gospel has called you and sustains you as we walk. So, you know, it's not possible by our own reason, strength, merits, or any of these other things. But with the faith of a child, we look to God, we rely on him, for with him all things are possible. And our salvation is possible because only he lives that perfect life to fully satisfy the law so the law can make no more demands on us and gives you that righteousness. that You stand before God then as his beloved son.
0: Well, in our discussion of marriage, minors, and money, we've learned about both the justice and mercy of God, but also how he alone is the one who can save us. That's where we're going to have to end it. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Doug Gribbenau. He's a pastor and mission advocate at KFUO Radio. Thanks, Pastor, for being on the show.
1: And it's been my joy to be with you, brothers and sisters. Amen.
0: (laughs) All right, folks, tomorrow we're going to finish up chapter 10. Jesus predicts his death and resurrection for the third time, and then he explains to his disciples the true meaning of greatness and service in his kingdom. He also heals a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, who recognizes him as the son of David and follows him on his way to Jerusalem. So we'll talk about that and a lot more. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all. As we pray, Father, keep us and in thy strong word.